Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. Uh, today, David Morrison and I uh, are talking about belonging. And um, a few minutes in, a special guest named Bill Helm jumps in. And so there's a little bit transition there. And we just talk about this idea of feeling um, feeling as though you belong and also um, feeling as though you don't belong. And just some of our experience around that it seems to be a uh, universal theme, belonging and not belonging, and uh, how, how that plays out in our life and our day-to-day. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering for this uh, podcast. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, uh, please check out theruined.com. Uh, drcrpod.com is a place to check out other episodes. Uh, we will be uh, firing up the Road to Desert Rain series here shortly. Uh, if you enjoy what you hear, please tell a friend. Uh, word of mouth and social media really helps us out. We appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome back to Desert Rain uh, Community Radio. David Morrison. Good afternoon, sir. We've had a full day. Yes, sir. You've had a double full day already. Yeah. Um, we So we're going to sort of kick it off today with this, um, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit more, but this idea of, of belonging and and uh, is it okay to talk that we already had a group this morning? Yeah, yeah. So okay, okay. our good friend uh, Gilbert Fernandez, uh, he's kind of an elder from the northeast. From the northeast, he always says that in his emails. I'm Gilbert from the northeast, <clears throat> and he runs a small group for men's spirituality called the Lumen. And this was the topic this morning. He had a Wendell Berry poem that he wrote and. And then uh, prompted questions about your experience of belonging or not belonging and that kind of thing. It's very good. Yeah, and I think that's um, not just, I mean, I, I think that's one of those universal things, this idea of belonging. Yeah. Like it's not just for spirituality. It's not just for, um, it, it seems to uh, come up in many different contexts in my life, Yeah, for sure. I know in the recovery world, that's a common theme of not feeling like you felt like you belonged as like childhood or early teenage years. Um, And like for me, looking back, like I was on sports teams. I had friends at school, like, you know, looking, logically looking back, I wasn't an outsider. But I can remember very, very vividly at the time feeling for whatever reason, like I didn't, I didn't fit in. So... That was one of the questions, in fact. Yeah, what is your earliest memory of having a sense of belonging? That was one of them. What, what was your earliest memory of having a sense of belonging? Well, the, you know, the, the setup is a, to answer spontaneously. And so, so it's very interesting, the process that we do in that small group, because the memories will be very unexpected for me. And it was that way this morning. And so my memory of, of belonging, my, one of my earliest memories in a spontaneous moment of answering, <clears throat> it was uh, basically two. One had to have been about four years old. And we were at Northgate Mall in front of the pet shop. 
outside mm. with my pet with shops. My, mall pet shops were the best yeah. <laughs> as a kid. This was a northeast El Paso yeah. uh, pet shop, so well, it couldn't trip. have been. It mu- it would must have been the same as Las Cruces mall yeah, pet shop. Yeah, just a rough neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, and so I was probably four, and my older brother was nine or ten, and uh, these kids were bullying him. I remember. Uh, they came up to him, you know, some street toughs. Yeah. And and I remember uh, one of them sticking their finger in my face, and I chomped down on it <laughs> so hard that blood was flecking out. <laughs> I was a mad child. You're a fucking maniac. And they dude. screamed and ran away. <laughs> and so that was the first. It was like, this is my brother. I belong to him. He belongs to me. And I will chop your finger off I will eat when you. I'm not chopping his finger off. <laughs> and so then the other one was with my younger brother. And this is probably maybe five years later. We were like nine or ten and uh, in the Bolero parking lot on Dyer Street, just up the street from right, that same right. location in Northeast. And, and this kid had his, about, his kid about our age, nine or ten, had all of his little brothers and sisters with him. And he was picking on my younger brother. And I was just standing by eating an oatmeal pie. There you go. <laughs> that I just bought from the vending machine after I had, bowling. <laughs> I had an oatmeal pie last night, in fact. <laughs> and I was enjoying that oatmeal pie. And I was like, yeah, kick his butt. You're, you're saving me the saving me the effort. You know, the guy was picking on my younger brother, but I was just standing by watching. And and the scuffle kind of like reached me and and the kid knocked my oatmeal pie out. And, uh, so then that was it. So something just popped in my brother's head and my, we became the boondock saints. <laughs> and next thing I know, I got the guy in a headlock. I'm smashing his face against the car side window. And my brother's, <laughs> I think, punching him in the gut. And we were just, and then my dad came out and was like, oh my God, what are you doing? And we, you know, this was the 70s. So we had like that long, uh, Beetle-like haircut. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So he grabbed us by the hair, <laughs> jerked us out, and he's like, what are you doing, you animals, you know? And so uh, it was interesting to me that the connection of violence and belonging, mm. that we all want belonging, and belonging is very important and crucial for our soul development, but it could become, uh, if we're over-possessive of it, over-identified with our sense of belonging, we commit to violence at that point. We become violent. We have to become violent. Uh, same with possessions, right? Uh, if, I, if I choose to own, the, the, if I have ownership of something, some mm-hmm. object, uh, at some point I've committed to violence mm-hmm. to protect the, the, my ownership of that. And so, so, so belonging has a sense of, yes, it can nourish you, but you also have to dislocate. You also have to enter into uh, not belonging, if you will. Uh, or uh, I'm a little tired today. Sorry. Uh, not disengage. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, to not identify. Yeah, to not identify so much with your belonging. Yeah. To uh, uh, detach. That's the oh, word I'm looking for. To detach from it from seasons as well. So that's what I learned from my own soul's memory this morning uh, was that the beginning of my sense of belonging was in violence. And I realized that's really the world today, isn't it? I don't know. Well, not today. It's always been. The I was going to say, I think it's more of a historic yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't tri- think it's. To be tribal, to be clannish, and then to be uh, nationalistic. 
that kind of thing, you know, it, it, it becomes, you know, and it's connected to that inner Pharisee as well, right? We're better than them. My sports team is superior than your sports team. Therefore, I'm a better human being than you. Well, and we talk about... You're a, you're a Browns fan, so, yeah. Yeah, shout out to the Browns for signing <laughs> Deshaun Watson. <laughs> Where's, what's his name going to go? <laughs> Hopefully just do commercials. He's much better at commercials yeah, than Yeah, I like football. that guy. He's hilarious. <laughs> Baker not, Mayfield. He's he's like above average in, in football, but, he's, but he's, he's actually really good at making commercials. Yeah, he's funny as hell. Um, he lives well, in a stadium, too. Uh... This idea, so that idea of um, like attaching too much, it, what came to mind is we talk about in recovery, this idea of fear, and usually it, it's based on two things um, that kind of gets magnifying, magnified by alcoholics and addicts, but fear of not getting what we want or fear of losing what we have. Yeah you know, and, and getting obsessive about it, obsessive about those things. Yeah. So then we're overtaken by fear. And I think um, because we identify, whether it's a relationship or like you said, possessions yeah. or um, even, even like on a macro scale, right? What's going on in the world right now? You have, you know, you have the Ukraine being attacked by Russia and people are picking sides and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like this idea of like... Um, like you said, wanting to be right, right? Like yeah. wanting th this, this term is, it's become very, a weird term over the last like five, six, seven years of like, quote unquote, being on the right side of history. Right, um, right. Because we're in a social media age where you want to put your opinion out there, right? Right. And, and quickly, right? Like there yeah. might not be any, any thought about it because it comes back to this idea of belonging. Right. Like you're you're for this thing. And you might not even be for something. It might be you're against this thing. So we gotta yeah, exactly. we gotta shout that down. Um yeah, so, so when you were telling your stories about those first two times of of feeling like you belong, I I'm like I maybe when I started drinking, like feeling like part of the party crowd came to mind well before that even like when um when i started in recovery and found a home there yeah you know but i shoot i was what 24 25 when that when that occurred um and so trying to you know try to put um put my mind back in and just sort of that as a child because i and it might be because i identify more or maybe I've, maybe I don't, not anymore that I identify it, but I've looked more at when I didn't feel like I belonged. Yeah. You know, and, and I can remember, so in elementary school, I went to three different elementary schools. And so the story I've always told myself is that, like, I would start making friends or like getting my friend group mm -hmm. and then I would move to a new school, right? Where like mm -hmm. sort of the friend yeah. groups were already established and stuff. Um, and so I've just, I've just spent more time analyzing my not belonging. Yeah. Because what I know now is it's not true. Like the story I told myself mm. about not belonging was was mostly not true. Yeah. Right? The, like, yeah, I did feel like the new kid because I was the new kid. But, you know, it wasn't like I was... I got bullied a little bit, but it wasn't like ostracized by the greater community yeah. that was around me. Um, well, yeah, and as I grew a little older, 
I was very proud and very, very much a zealot as to be a Catholic. I was very how so. I know we've talked about you being a Catholic, but... Yeah, what's your religion? I'm a Catholic. That's like the greatest thing you could be. Uh, And I'm in the greatest country you could be in. A lot of our teachers, a lot of my teachers in elementary school were World War II Mm. uh, vets or spouses of them and that kind of thing. And so, you know, we we killed the Nazis. We We killed the Nazis. We saved the world. And, And we're, yeah, and we're fighting commies right now and... Uh, you know, the Cold War and all that. Uh, and then, uh, and so there was this, yeah, definite identity for me of being a Catholic and being a, an Amer- American, mm. that kind of thing. And uh, and so my experience has been you have to lose your belonging a lot of times mm. uh, or the illusion of that belonging needs to be broken so that you can enter into a deeper and more vast belonging um because you see jesus of nazareth in the gospels he's breaking all of those boundaries Mm -hmm. of where he belongs and doesn't belong and including people that were not uh they were not they did not belong right uh zacchaeus the tax collector uh the the prostitutes the the tax gatherers the samaritans Mm -hmm. uh you know jesus you know know, uh the the famed uh evangelist billy graham there's this thing in those circles called the Billy Graham rule, which is a man should never meet with a woman ever who's not his wife. That, that's oh, you know, this right, big right, righteous right. thing. Yeah. It's like, well, Jesus broke that rule at the yeah. well in Samaria. Yeah. He sits down with this woman and, and they're shocked at him. So he's always expanding the circle of belonging and in himself becomes an outsider. And out of his outsideness, outside of his isolation, creates community there. Uh, so you see, for example, in the Gospels, he he heals a leper, which makes him in the Jewish community unclean. Right. So then it says subtly, it says he wasn't able to enter into the cities and the synagogues anymore mm-hmm. because he had become unclean. And so the community moves outside. And so that's been my experience: is that uh, is any kind of belonging that I've ever attached myself to uh, has been broken in some way. Mm-hmm. And there's definite sense of not belonging, uh, and that, and I that was another revelation for me this morning. Was that was uh, I feel that not belonging on a cellular level my whole life mm. because of my health, chronic health issues from birth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to say it bluntly, natural selection had selected me to not <laughs> be a part of the human race for maybe more than a couple of weeks. And here I am. And so, and I, you know, and I'm not, well, God must have chosen you. Really? He didn't choose those other ones? Children that died, you know? Well, and it's also time and place, right? Like Exactly. So like polio, right? Like polio used to like cripple people. Yeah. And so, you know, so 300 years ago, you'd be the weakest link and pass away. A hundred years ago, you, there would be wheelchairs and there was ways yeah. to live through it. And and now, for all intents and purposes, we don't have polio. Exactly. You know, yeah. so there's also this idea of time and place. So I feel like a man out of time most right. of the time uh, because of that. So that's... Well, and I think, too, I think both are important. I think yes. having experience of belonging... And longing. Have, yeah. Having an experience of not belonging... Um, can be a good part of 
of a spiritual evolution because, because knowing what it feels like to belong and then losing that and knowing what it feels like to not belong. Yeah, exactly. Can sometimes it, it, it hardens a heart, but sometimes it softens it to what, you know, the example you were just making with uh, Jesus of Nazareth, where the belonging circle just widens yeah. and becomes um, deeper in a way. And I think that's happened for me in my life out of my, I'm always, when it comes to an institution or any larger group, I sometimes by choice, but not always, I'm the weird uncle. Uh, and sometimes I embrace that, like being the weird uncle, you know, and, but, uh, uh, or a wild animal at a tea party. Well, you, I was going to say, you were just trying to convert people to loving your cat yeah, that I they wish, haven't even met yet. I wish I could tell you all out there about <laughs> the wonders of my cat. And unfortunately, folks, we'll have to interrupt this exciting story about a cat and bring in our guest, Bill Helm. So let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back to the continuation of our Belonging podcast. Mr. Bill Helm. Hello, hello. Mr. David Morrison. Yes, sir. So mid-sentence, we had uh, Mr. Bill Helm join us. And he has agreed to just join in, jump in. So uh, to reset a little bit, um, we're talking about this idea. Well, David uh, talked about... um, My cat. Well, his cat, but uh, it's called a Lumen, right? A Lumen group, yeah. Yeah, With Gilbert Fernandez from the Northeast. (laughs) And He's our elder. The topic this morning was this idea of belonging or not belonging. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, David was talking about his cat. We were talking about this idea of Jesus of Nazareth went out of his way to help the, or not help, but make those that felt like they were on the fringe feel feel part of the community, feel, yeah. feel belonging. At, at the detriment of his own belonging. You know, people try to use Jesus as the poster child for family values. He's not the poster child for family values. He's terrible. He was awful. Uh, Talked to his mother that way. Uh, He goes into his hometown. His mama's proud. He goes to the synagogue. He intentionally pisses them all off. They want to kill him. And he he just goes off to another town. His poor mother had to stay there. Uh, Deal with the consequences. Yeah, so he doesn't have... So he doesn't have those identifications of a smaller family. And then he breaks all the cultural mores of belonging to Judaism. And so... It's by design that, uh, that that he's you know a universal spirituality. They should have called the church. You know, oh wait, they did. <laughs> That's what Catholic means. Uh, but that wasn't good enough. They had to like then specify. They ex- yeah. Oh no, it's Roman Catholic. <laughs> uh, no, a little more Catholic in my Roman, please. Uh, well, know. and and um, to bring you into this, we started off actually. David shared a time about uh, the first time he felt like he he belonged. In a situation, yeah. it was a, a scuffle that him and his brother got into with another person. Um, and I, I shared about, I, I really don't feel my first time belonging until either my teenage years or even in my early 20s. So I don't know if you can remember of a, an early time, either in a child, the first time you, you felt like you belonged as a child or, or just sometime in your life where that, that sense of feeling at home or, or this idea of belonging you can look back and, and remember an instance of that. 
I think in my childhood, it was, um, it, it was, you know, it was family, um, belonging with, um, my grandparents on my mother's side, my grandmother and, um, grandfather tremor. Um, they of course lived close to us, but we would spend our entire summers there, myself and my cousins and, and growing up, it was just, I don't know. It was, it was just, uh, super close. And then as, uh, as I got older and into adulthood, I would probably say the first time, uh, was <laughs> after looking in the yellow pages and finding uh, <laughs> the church on the east side and walking in and that first uh, it's so funny that we had advertisements <laughs> so unlike us huh? um that first sunday walking in um uh, was pretty incredible like after searching for for many moons for for the right group of people and and walked in and i think uh David was speaking about Mary Magdalene that Sunday. <laughs> Upset some people, probably. Probably, but, uh, but, we lost but won me over. <laughs> we lost 10 people in the church for that off-color joke and gained. And gained a Bill Helm, <laughs> a, Hel a Hellman company. Um, and how long had you been in El Paso sort of church shopping, if you will, when you landed on? It's definitely church shopping. <laughs> and it wasn't very uh, rewarding. <laughs> it's a miserable process. Uh, a year, I think. Oh, Almost wow. a year. Not quite, but yeah. Close to that. Yeah, nine, ten months. Wow. And it, it uh, there were, when you brought up your cousins, that actually reminded me of probably my first real belonging was we, we had some cousins that lived in Maryland and they moved to New Mexico where my sisters and I lived and that we were all basically in the same age range. I think there was one cousin that was a year older than me and then three younger ones. And I think my sisters fell in age wise fell between the third and fourth one. So we're all sort of like grouped together age wise. And I can remember spending summer, whether it was like swimming or miniature golf, you know, just whatever it was. Um, we were a tight, Type bunch for I don't remember how long three four or five years however long they lived in New Mexico before moving back to Maryland. Um, yeah, for us um, growing up, it was I don't know I don't I don't think you could ever recreate what our childhood was like. But it was a rural community, and our parents were you know felt free to let us just roam the countryside for. <laughs> all day long like <laughs> dust to dawn and and uh and not worry like i i, I as a parent would have been freaking out <laughs> <laughs> but, putting uh, a gps tracker on your <laughs> but yeah we grew up i grew up on the family farm that 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 my grandfather worked and um and would just we had phew, hundreds of acres to, <laughs> to yeah. roam and explore. Um, and so uh, something that came to mind, um, David, is is sort of the, the other side of this coin, right? The, the not belonging. And, and you had shared before we shifted gears um, about 
feeling like you didn't belong on a cellular level because of some of your health struggles as a kid. And um, obviously we've talked about how that sort of manifested in, in your adulthood. But I, I'm interested to know other times as an adult where this idea of, of or not this idea, this feeling of not belonging has sort of manifested itself within your life and, and what, what that has looked like. Yeah, well, I think, I think we've mentioned before We've lived to see all the major important institutions in our lives that would give us belonging have pretty much failed at, at this point, unless you can afford a, a fraternity in a private college. Uh, but, but the religions have failed. The, 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 in my case, the Catholic Church failed to protect children. Mm. Uh, and the uh, charismatic evangelicals uh, became idolaters and, and worship nationalism and money. And so, so there, so, uh, and so my feeling has been, it's basically the fall of the Roman empire. And then these little outposts, like the, the Irish mo monasteries, uh, which were just emerging at that time, created community. Mm. And so I feel the same way you have to create it. Uh, you have to create belonging around you, not in a tribal way where it keeps other ooze. People are in and people are out. Right. Like once you commit to that, like we were saying, you, you've committed to violence at that point. And you're a part of the, the problem. And so, uh, and you're asking me, when, when did I feel like not belonging? Right. Uh, so in, in your adulthood, you know, yeah, this feeling of, of not belonging. I mean, it was most acutely felt. At, uh, losing our church on the east side, mm -hmm. for sure. These were close friends. We had started this church in the mid-90s, uh, married a lot of them and uh, baptized their kids and cried with each other. And, uh, and then when we tra uh, transitioned to become a community out here, lost those friendships. Right. And there was a point where there was at least 100 people that literally hated my wife and I. And so that was very, so it had a double... At one point, it felt very empowering. It's like, wow, man, I'm like the outlaw Josie Wales. <laughs> this is awesome. You know, on the other hand, the rejection is very heavy and the guilt that comes with came mm. with that. And, uh, and so we had like one, la I remember where we were meeting, we had one last, it was an Easter Sunday, I think. And just that feeling of alienation and the loss of all of that. It's very heavy on me. Um, and so uh, that, that was probably a time of definitely feeling isolated and alone and the whole thing, because we were, you know, yeah. it felt like. Uh, so, yeah. And um, I know you were around during that time, Bill. Yeah. Sort of during the transition from the, from the church to, to Desert Rain. Um, and, and I guess what, what was, as, as being in the middle of it, being a part of, of the move to, to Chaparral, um, and and continuing to be a part of the uh, community, what what was that like for you during those early days of of Desert Rain? <laughs> the interesting thing was we were living in Chaparral and had been for um, a couple of years. I think so, yeah. Um, maybe you know, maybe as many as three or four years. It. it it's a little fuzzy to me now what the timeline was, but um, 
when we first started talking about community, we were talking about trying to make it happen on the east side. And, mm. um, you know, maybe we all sell our houses and buy a bunch of houses together and, and try to do it in, you know, suburbia over on the east side. And, and then it transitioned into looking for properties out here. And we were like, okay, well, we're already out here. And we, <laughs> you're like, yeah, come on down. <laughs> I've been telling you for years. <laughs> and and um, in the meantime, we had actually sold our property, but the guy that um, bought it didn't want to um, necessarily live in it. So we just like decided to stay, and because it was in flux. Nice. Um, I think the interesting thing from from my perspective was the alienation. <laughs> That that David just just spoke about was I, I think it was based on unreasonable expectations that um, that David was responsible for like maintaining this this um, method of playing church that we were doing back then mm. indefinitely um, and and there and and when things um, uh, started to shift as far as looking for a way to, you know, intentionally live in community, then um, people started getting upset that they might have to drive if they didn't want to live in the community. <laughs> and we were like, hey, we've been driving to the east side for three years. <laughs> That's right. That irony was lost. That's funny. <laughs> well, and, and I think, too, people are just terrified of change in general. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think we've explored that. Yeah, we I introduced way can. too many changes in too short of a time and in retrospect. And But you also, uh, didn't yeah. you have like a year-long like planning meetings? For that we did, yeah. 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 So it wasn't. My, but my own spirituality as a pastor was changing quickly. Mm. Uh, I kept changing fast and it didn't last for long, as John Denver said. <laughs> so, it, so there was a lot of that and it was, it was scary, scary for people. Um, I don't know how I would have done it differently. I don't know. Uh, well, and that's you're not going to make everyone happy, right? Like a big change like yeah. that. Someone's going to be upset in the process. Yeah, but being yeah. Catholic, the guilt was <laughs> immense. <laughs> and I just, you know, and this has been almost 20 years, and it wasn't until this last year that I felt the last, where I feel free from the obligation of all that guilt. Interesting. I was just going to ask you if, yeah. if it still hangs on, but so it you, did. Yeah, every day wow. for almost twenty years, and then it was twenty twenty. You know, I had triple bypass surgery in the middle of COVID, and then ten years prior to that, went septic and almost died, and um, and I had to to face the fact that not one of those people from the past reached out to us during that time. Oh wow. And so that made me realize there really isn't anything there and it's okay. And I have no obligations to them. Cause it served, it served for the time and place. I've, yeah, I've come to become more comfortable with that friendships. They, uh, not all friendships are forever yeah. uh, as, as the middle school girls promised on their, <laughs> on their social media. <laughs> Friends are forever. Uh, or, or like gangsters, you know, ride or die. You know, <laughs> that's just fantasy. That's not, you know, uh, 
We're not here very long uh, on this planet. Uh, some of us like me, I'm like the guy from Clerks. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> I'm like that guy in my life. And so uh, there's not a lot of time uh, and friends. And, and I also notice people, when you get in your 40s, your friends, you, you lose the energy for your social life, uh, especially if you have children and, you're, and now you have like mm -hmm. teenagers and 20-something kids. And so most people start losing their friends. And so mm. there's only a few you can really hold on to, you know, maybe a dozen at the most. Uh, and you got to fight for even that. And so, so anyway, so yeah, it wasn't until recently that I've come to feel, yeah, there's nothing there and that's okay. And I'm not obligated in any way to fix that or to be whatever it is right. or to, you know, that kind of thing. So, and uh, as many of you know that are regular listeners, Bill Helm is our resident architect. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, so it'll probably be about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer. We did a two-part series talking about uh, numinous spaces with Bill and David. And, and so to kind of go back to this idea of belonging and um, sort of... I know we we went deep into the numinous space idea on the podcast, but maybe um, with this topic in mind, you know how how can you create a physical structure that sort of promotes this idea of of belonging within community, or is it or it is it possible? Mm. Well, um, I think it could come back to what we were talking about in that podcast as far as um, connecting with um, the methods that the ancients used. And we were talking about it in the context of um, the book, The Sacred and the Profane, where he talks about uh, the idea of axis mundi, um, the creation of a community around an intersection and then a connection to the sky, and and from that grows out a home, and from that grows out a city, and a, um, and it largely comes back, I think, always to to our livelihood, to like protection, like creation of a space that makes you feel safe, um, and then from that, relationships can grow once you're in a safe place. Yeah, and, and you and I were talking about that just this morning about when we get knocked out of our routine, yeah, it, can, yeah. it can all, uh, in, in the short term, not, not sort of in the long term of building, you know, building this, this home, this safe home and then a safe city, you know, but in the short term, when we get knocked out of our um, routines, that same idea of we're used to a certain routine when we get knocked out of it, it, in an attempt to cultivate sacred space can kind of be tough because, because you're thrown out of that um, instead of a safe physical space, you know, a safe mental space or a safe emotional space yeah. where you're thinking about something else or, or focusing on something else um, in a negative way. I'm struggling with that right now. 
You know, a lot of people, I think most people, their routines were disrupted by the pandemic two mm-hmm. years ago. Right. I, I felt ex- not excited about people dying, but I was, I was kind of welcomed the, I get more solitude now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and so now having to reemerge into, mm-hmm. and into the human race, clean up my language a little, uh, not be so, <laughs> maybe drag a razor across my face. Uh, you know, those kinds of things are really, what I'm realizing is it's not just a, a fear of getting COVID. Right. It's, there's, there's a social anxiety that I'm feeling. Uh, uh, like we had our community meal this last week. Mm-hmm. First one back together, right, in a long time. And I felt, my joke was, but I feel this way, is that we were all kind of married. Mm-hmm. Then we separated for a couple of years. <laughs> and then and now we're formally dating to try to see, to explore what our future might be. And it's very awkward, very stilted, <laughs> very contrived, and and not and so that's kind of how I feel right yeah. now. And it's not just the fear of getting a a disease. It's it's it, for me it feels more social because I enjoyed I fell into the routine mm-hmm. the pandemic routine if you will right uh, of fear and loathing and <laughs> being scared all the time no. uh but you know I had a routine and it was very much solitary it was very much uh you know you bubbled up with a couple of people and that was you know and so yeah and, and I guess we were bubbled with you yeah yeah and we, we're not we, real stayed, human beings no, we're wild. <laughs> so Wild animals. And so now when we go out, I, I talk the same way that I've been talking. And I, and I was wondering why people are so horrified, <laughs> shocked of the, of the vulgarities that come out of my mouth. And so now I'm having to like, uh, I guess I got to clean up a little so I can be more prime time and don't scare the children. So That's right. Yeah. Because I definitely scare the children. And it's, it's interesting too, because I, I, for the most part, I'm an extrovert. But as you know, over the last month or two, interacting and, and coming face to face with more and more people, um, I have noticed the, I don't want to say a difference, but just uh, a higher degree of awareness of how actual physical interactions with people can either drain you or or feed you. Yeah. Right. Like depending on, on what that, um, what that is. And I, I would be interested because uh, not only your architect, but your, you know, you're a business owner. And so uh, how has that been sort of the last, I don't know, three months or whatever, sort of as people have trying to do a new, new normal? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Our <laughs> our office, I think, was, I mean, we're small. I mean, right. We're only 10 people. Okay. Um, but I think our office... Um, is didn't um, withdraw and isolate ourselves as as quite so many did. There was always a contingent of us that were there, sort of holding down the fort, right? And, and which makes sense for a smaller, yeah. It and um, and so we just sort of rolled with the punches mm. through the whole thing and okay. took care of each other. And if somebody needed to work from home, because. Um, because of uh, their situation with kids or they just needed to isolate. Um, we were, you know, we just worked around that and rolled with the punches and the, and the rest of us would come in and support the effort. And um, so I, 
I think we've probably been more back to normal for the last year than, okay. than not. Than the, than the maybe the average. But um, it's it certainly was a whole process of like trying to figure out how to be normal again. Um, and now we're sort of getting to the situation where we got to go out and do meetings with people again, right, yeah. which is probably a more appropriate answer to your question. Because up until the last three months, we've still been just, you know, eight to 10 people <laughs> coming to an office every day, uh, but not, but all of our meetings being virtual. Mm-hmm. And I've appreciated the virtual thing on one side because it like, it's less of a waste of time sometimes to have to go out and get a bunch of professionals in a room. We can do it much quicker. Coordinate at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Or even like um, we work with a lot of teams from outside of town, so they have to travel a lot less. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of benefits to it, but there's also nothing like, especially in the creative realm, like getting together in a room and working through a problem together. Mm -hmm. Um, that just it doesn't <laughs> that doesn't work virtually. You just you don't get the spontaneity of of ideas and yeah. and um, I don't know cross pollination of, through that collaborative effort. So that was probably the biggest struggle um, for us as a design studio was having to deal with that separation and it wasn't um, it, there was certainly disruption of productivity and creativity there when we were separated. Interesting. Because, I, I mean, it's obviously much, much lower stakes because it's this simple podcast, but people have recommended like, oh, you can you can have a Zoom conversation with this person or you can have a Zoom conversation with that person. It's like, nah, like being in the same room discussing, you know, yeah. something, things of these nature, right? Spirituality, you know, trying to walk through this thing called life. Yeah. Um, any conversations tough via Zoom, talking over each other and, and stumbling yeah. through it. But being in the same room, I think that I what you said that cross pollination of creativity. There's something about multiple people being in the same space for creative purposes that is lost to whatever degree when you're when you're just doing it via technology. I mean, our Sunday meeting, when we went virtual, I hated it because I didn't know how to do it, you know. So I'm looking for people's responses right. on a phone that I'm trying to flip yeah, through. Right. Small yeah, screen. But once I got into the groove of it, then I don't, I don't look at, I don't even look at who's there. Right. <laughs> and so I really like the person I became on Zoom because mm. because he's more professional and nicer and uh, not as wild. <laughs> Uh, not feeding off a group, oh. and so, so I I came to like my Zoom person a lot better, uh, but then people in the group told me that they they don't engage as much. Yeah, you know, on Zoom, and so so yeah, so I haven't been looking. You know, and I really like the idea of we're done with the meeting on Zoom and I uh, just turn off the light and go pee and that's it. That's a great feeling. That's a wrap. This is is all I have. This is all I have. That feeling of all I have to do now is go pee. And uh, whereas we're just opening up again and so we'll be in-person meetings and and so, yeah, that inner jackass is waiting to 
So as I make eye contact with people in the group, who can I, who can I rattle? Who's, who's looking at me with, I remember kids would, when I was teaching, they would look at, there was a certain look of wild animal that a kid would have in his eyes, or her eyes. And they're like, I dare you. And then, uh, you know, the jackass and them would speak to the jackass and me. And, uh, and, and just so escalate would, from yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> then we would just get crazy. So I, and then I, and then the guilt afterwards is horrendous. <laughs> I'm going to get fired. What am I doing? I'm just a, you know, and so, so now it's transitioning back is hard. Well, and it's funny too, because inadvertently this goes back to that idea of belonging. I mean, it sounds sort of woo woo, but that connecting on an energetic level, you know, like, you know, you, you, I can see the twinkle in someone's eye, right? When, yeah. when yeah. I'm, I'm borderline, you know, being, being a naughty boy or a wild boy or whatever. Um, but yeah, that same sort of thing where you're in a group, you know, and, and someone cracks a joke and, and three people are like kind of looking across the room, like nodding at each other, like, yeah, God, I heard you. Yeah. That awkwardness is addicting to me. <laughs> when a joke fails, it's, that's even better. That's the best. Yeah. You say something and then you, you let it linger and there's just awkward silence. I don't know what it is. That's like, that's like sunlight to me. Did I, t- have I told you, you would like this, you might like this. Did I, have, I don't think I've ever told my airport World Cup joke. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, so, a, it's a classic. So I was at the airport. It was the last time the World <laughs> Cup was playing and it was playing, it was in Russia, funny enough, with everything going on. And the Germans lost to the Russians in soccer. Uh-huh. If you follow international soccer, Germany's usually one of the best countries to play soccer. So it's very, it's very uncommon. And I turned to the guy at the airport. There was a, there was two guys. One was slightly older than me and, and the other guy was probably 15, 20 years older than me. And I said, well, that's not the first time Germany has marched into Russia and lost. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the response. <laughs> it was dead silence. <laughs> and I was like, well, and and I'm not even nope. exaggerating. One, one of the guys, I don't remember which one, but one of them, <laughs> less than five minutes, got up and left his seat and wow. decided he didn't even want to sit. <laughs> and as he was walking away, you're like, the aristocrats. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's, you know. Yeah, it uh, makes it better that they didn't laugh, right? So, because had they laughed like your guys' response, I would have forgotten the joke. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I would have never known that I told that joke. Someone would have said it later, and I'm like, oh, it's such yeah. a good joke. I wish I would have thought of it. <laughs> but the fact that they were just like, did not engage with it whatsoever. Yeah. Because um, then I'm like, well, did, do they not understand world history? Right. Yeah. Do they? <laughs> was it that bad of a joke? You know what That's I mean? Even, it it would have been better had he asked you to repeat yourself, too. <laughs> and then you do it more exuberantly, and it falls even flatter. No? <laughs> yeah. That would have been even So, um, So, yeah. So, you know, this. Yeah, this it's sick. It's twisted. Uh, I've <laughs> stopped trying to stop it because it just, yeah. 54 years old, who cares? <laughs> 53 or something like that. I don't know. Whatever, whatever the number is. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I guess just as we, uh, we're, not, we're not coming to time yet, but to, sort of to, to bring this full circle and, and um, Bill, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll lead with you on this, but um, as you're walking through life, 
And maybe you're in one of those spots where you where you don't feel like you belong, where you where you feel like an, an outsider. And maybe it's just in one one aspect of your life. Maybe at work you're feeling a little bit like an outsider, or you're or you're church shopping, so you haven't mm-hmm. found that like uh, that place where you feel at home uh, in the spiritual religious mode. But you know what? I, I, I guess to throw it over to you, Bill. What what would be some of the suggestions you might have for someone? in one of those uh, places, you know, that just feels like they woke up this morning and uh, for whatever reason, they're, they're feeling like an outsider in some, some aspect of their life or maybe just in their life in general. Um, <laughs> well, for me, I think it's usually just regrounding myself in, in the place where I am, where I do feel belong. And, and mm-hmm. so that usually then is, me going out and um, out into nature, either you know, oh. I go up to the mountain or I go um, off to where you know I have that um, connection with God's creation and and reconnect. Yeah. Um, um, because that I I don't know for me that centers me back to um, back to my belonging. Yeah, I, I subconsciously I can remember, I, and I know I've shared this a million times on the podcast. But the beach, whenever I lived close to the beach and I needed a reset, yeah, going to the beach was a place for me. Um, and what about you, David? For for someone out there, sort of stumbling through this thing, um, and and just trying to maybe embracing the outsideness is is tough for them. Maybe that doesn't come yeah. naturally for them. What uh, sort of what direction would you point them, or, or things that you've you've seen work for either yourself or others? Yeah, I, I think most of us are waiting. I think Henry Nowen wrote about this. Aren't you like me, waiting for that phone call to come to tell you that you're beloved, <laughs> to tell you that you belong? You're always waiting for this external circumstance or relationship to come to fulfill your your loneliness. And in, and so in my experience, the more we pursue the experience of belonging, the more it will elude us. Oh. <laughs> the more you try to make yourself belong or even another person, when you, if you, you can over try to make, of course, belong, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, it will elude you. So, so becoming comfortable with your own solitude and realizing that that belongingness is within you. Uh, like Bill was talking about, there's years ago, I was walking up the road here at night and this amazing moon was in the uh, west, the western sky, an amazing full moon. And, and I was losing my mind over it because I wanted my family to see it. I wanted my daughter and Marsha to <laughs> see this. This is a incredible. And then I wanted everyone else to see it. And, and this panic came over me. Like, they're not seeing, I'm here by myself. I'm Only I am seeing it. Yeah, I need to, <laughs> they need to see this. And then, uh, and then a realization, uh, this peace came over me. So they do because I'm seeing it. Mm. I'm one with the whole human race that sees this. And this sense of unitive consciousness, if you will, this sense of, of I belong on this planet. Uh, and this moon is telling me where I'm at right now. And, 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 and because I'm one of billions, we're all enjoying this. We're all seeing this. And there was that, that sense of, it wasn't a rational thing. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was emotional, it was transrational. And, 
And so, uh, yeah. So, so foster your own inner belonging by, with solitude. Uh, even though solitude feels counterintuitive, right? You, know, you shouldn't isolate. You shouldn't be alone. You shouldn't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most people don't trust themselves with their own thoughts. And yeah, maybe there's some therapy things you need to do. Uh, but solitude seems to be the place for me that fosters community. There's, yeah. a, there's a relationship between those two seemingly opposites. Well, I think that goes back to this idea of like, not that you're going to be okay with yourself 24-7, but if you're right. if you're not okay with yourself, other people are going to, it kind of goes back to that idea of energy. Other people yeah. are going to sense that when they're yeah. around you. Yeah. Right. And so finding some outlet, whether, you know, whether it's nature, whether it's, you know, in recognizing in the moment that you're connected to everyone seeing the full moon in that, right. you know, even if it's not your quote unquote necessarily loved ones right. standing next to you, um, you know, and, and I had a similar, yeah, I guess it was a similar epiphany on the Camino was I would see these amazing sunrises mm-hmm. and sometimes I'd be by myself. Yeah. And at some point, it wasn't the first one, you know, it was later on down. And sunsets too, same thing, same thing with the sunsets of someone's always witnessing a sunrise and sunset. You know, even though it's 2.30 p.m. right now in El Paso, in Chaparral, and the, the sun is high in the sky for us, someone's witnessing a sunrise and someone's witnessing a sunset um, just because of the nature yeah. of, of, of the nature of nature. <laughs> yeah. And we're connected with those people in some way, shape, or form when we witness a beautiful sunrise or sunset. Exactly. Yeah, I think it, you know, David, you said it eloquently and that it's, you know, solitude as, as, as a way of reconnecting because you got to, you got to love yourself first. <laughs> you got to like being with yourself first before you can belong to others um, and they will feed off your negative energy if it's negative um, as you know going back to as an employer what I struggle with constantly is like maintaining this equilibrium of belonging within the office for everybody not just for myself um, because I'm the one that has to sort of curate that. And there's been times, in fact, there was a time quite recently where I just like felt like a complete failure in that regard. Like, cause, but it's not something I can control either. Like people are not always going to get along. They're not always going <laughs> to like each other. Right. There's going to be dynamics that don't work in <clears throat> a family and in an office. And our office is very much a small family. We've done very well. And then like people comment, to me all the time about that and like you know how do you like curate this thing <laughs> that that your employees have been with you forever and like well it doesn't always <laughs> work out that way we've had a couple of, of failures and and um you know it's i don't know it's um it's just something you have to um tend to and you know and and care about and make sure that you're trying to take care of everybody on the on the team or in your family or in whatever the group uh-huh. is. Yeah. Well, David and I have talked about that about community in general that you can cultivate 
a space for community to grow, but that doesn't mean community is going to yeah. grow. It sometimes fails and falls on its face. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to fail at this most of the time. That's the process. We'll have our good moments. Yeah. Beautiful. I think I that's it. In with something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. I wrote this a couple years ago. I usually read it at weddings. Well, we might get married, the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a spooky. We'll find a nice oh. poodle. <laughs> so we'll get married. <laughs> but yeah, this was something I wrote a couple of years ago called A Blessing for In-Between. Hmm. And when the pressure of time has left you alienated and isolated, may eternity gather you up and may you find yourself born again to the present moment. And when the place of your circumstance has left you alienated and isolated, may the kingdom of heaven gather you up and may you find yourself born again in the landscape of your own soul. And when the wounds of relationship have left you alienated and isolated, may the sacred trinity gather you up and may you find yourself born again to the dancing singing circle inside the waiting, in the in-between, in the sum of all your relations. Thank you. Nice little blessing, man. It's perfect. Beautiful. Thank you for joining us again. Absolutely. Mr. My Mr. pleasure. Wilhelm. Thank you, David. Thank you, Mr. Mason. Uh, thank you for everyone uh, tuning in and listening. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, the, as always, what you hear in the background right now is Monk Drums. Uh, thank you, Jacob, for that. You can check uh, monkdrums.com. And uh, for any of other readings or musings of David, uh, you can check out theruined.com. And for Bill... NuminousSpace.com. NuminousSpace will get you there. And um, thanks, thanks everyone for listening.